Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Hello and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad that you are here with us and we pray that every episode causes you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. Today we are going to be talking with Dr. Natalie Brand about her new book, Priscilla, Where Are You? A Call to Joyful Theology. And we love theology here because we love God. And so I know this is going to be a conversation that blesses you. So let's jump into it now. Natalie, thank you for once again joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Thank you, Justin. It's a privilege. I'm a big fan. Yeah, we're glad to have you back and uh, excited to talk with you today about your new book that should be published, should come out beginning of April, um, called Priscilla, Where Are You? A Call to Joyful Theology. And um, I'm really excited to, to talk with you today about the book. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, thanks again. And why don't we start with um, real quickly for those of our listeners who may not know you kind of tell us where where you're at, what you're up to, all those things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I live in the middle of England, um, literally if England's aboard um, a dark wall, we live in the board. Um, there's actually a street called the Heart of England Way just around the corner <laughs> and the reason we're there because we are both southerners um, is because Tom is doing kind of national ministry so he needs to be all over the place um, mm. so we decided to move in the middle of England which just sounds ridiculous to Americans but here uh, yeah it, it was needed to be kind of somewhere central so we're there Tom's doing um ministry um supporting pastors and i am kind of moving towards more of a back back seat so for many years working for union school of theology and then last year decided that yeah just that we were in a season with our three girls that i needed to be at home and that we wanted to be i don't know it was it got to the point where they it, we were kind of tag teaming a bit and we just needed mm-hmm. one parent who is rooted and uh, and with everything going on for for preteens nowadays so yeah so I took a step back and have decided to stay at home and uh, clean after the dog and write books <laughs> and support our local church so yeah so that's what doing now still a bit of teaching mostly writing and and at home yeah yeah awesome awesome well we are benefiting now from some of that some of that writing ministry with this new book, Priscilla, where are you? And uh, I'd love to just start there with what what prompted you, in particular, to write this book. Yeah, I've had the privilege of, for quite a few years now, having a lot of friends that internationally spread out amongst the world, who are um, women who love doctrine, mm. um, and who just can't get enough of it. Who are thrilled to dig deep into the word and to the biblical doctrines 
Um, and, and in that kind of community, if you like, um, Priscilla is definitely an exemplar. She is, even though you see her very briefly kind of dotted around the New Testament, she's there quite plainly in Acts 18. Significantly other than Acts 18 is, is Paul's shout out to her at the end of Romans when he's naming lots of his co-workers. Uh, he says in Romans 16, three and four, and this is how we can really get a good picture of who Priscilla uh, is. Greek Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. It's, it's pretty important because Paul is saying, you know, we're indebted to Priscilla and Aquila. So this is massive and part of their legacy that we're indebted, even now in the 21st century, yeah. we are indebted to Priscilla and Aquila. But this, this um, encounter with Apollos, um, Priscilla and her, her husband Aquila, uh, encounter uh, Apollos in Ephesus in Acts 18, it's brief, but it's quite profound. You know, she and her husband, they hear Apollos, they hear him preach the gospel and they see that there is something not quite fitting in his theology of baptism. He's focusing on the baptism of John. Mm. He hasn't heard that, that there is a Trinitarian baptism now that Christ um, commissioned in the Great Commission. And so they mm. take him aside um, and, and, they, and it says they explain the way of God more accurately and I just think that's such a profound thing there's this woman with her husband they're a ministry couple and and they they don't boo they don't bellow they just disciple this up-and-coming preacher a guy who's actually more kind of gifted and more educated than them theologically mm. and they correct him and it has profound consequences because as we know um later on he goes back to Corinth kind of retraces their steps Mm. to Corinth and becomes kind of if you like the leading apologist in Corinth to Jews proclaiming Christ as the Messiah and so it's it's brief but it's profound because you have a picture of a woman who loves the Lord loves the gospel loves the church she opening the church uh, into her home and she's ministering with her husband faithfully and with the apostle Paul and she is taking time to know her gospel and to know her doctrine mm -hmm. and to kindly edify her brothers and sisters in Christ in truth. And mm -hmm. so I've always wanted to kind of write on Priscilla because, because of that, you know, she's got this legacy, brief though mm -hmm. it may be, that is quite profound. Yeah. yeah that's great. Uh, in, we obviously know that Priscilla, that she's she's often looked at um, from various camps within, say, evangelicalism, and and uh, seen in probably in a few different ways. But I wonder how do we get Priscilla wrong sometimes? How how have we maybe uh, misunderstood what um, uh, what what the biblical writers, and maybe even what she would want us to know about her? It's such a great question. Um, I th think people stumble over Luke's account because we find her name is before that of her husband. Um, and we can only guess or speculate as to why 
that would be um, in some of the um, other references in the New Testament, it's it's Prisca and Aquila generally. Um, mm -hmm. so, but I think we stumble over that, like in our kind of post-feminist world. I mean, I certainly at the beginning made a big thing of it, but like, you know, this is a woman, she's teaching theology, and she's correcting all the men. <laughs> but in the years, as I've matured in my complementarity and in my biblical kind of theology, I've thought, you know, let's not get hung up on that. Let's mm. look at what she's doing. Let's look at the fact that she is a woman who loves truth and is well competent in the scriptures, um, who cares enough to correct and not get so caught up in, you know, is she the active teacher? Is she more vocal? Is that why her name's before? I mean, I have flagged that stuff up in the book because you want to do justice to the, to the, you know, the questions that arise from the text. But we certainly don't want to get hung up on that because that's mm. not what Luke is getting hung up on. I mean, mm. he's following Paul in this last leg of his second ministry journey, and he follows him, and they 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 go to Antioch, they leave Corinth, three of them. He takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. He has his hair cut and enters a vow. They come to Ephesus and then he goes on. And uh, it says that Paul has landed in Caesarea in, in verse 22. And so Luke is then following Paul, but just for two verses. Because then in verse 24 of Acts 18, Luke pulls back to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila are without Paul. And I mm. don't think he's doing that because he wants to tell us that Prisca or Priscilla is is this great um, feminist theologian who is correcting all the men. So I don't know why we get strung up on that. You know, the the, the encounter is is pertains to Apollos, um, and and their careful discipling of him. And so I think we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. I think um, we we often will see something. Uh, maybe obscure, maybe a, a little different in, in a, a verse here or there. And we, we forget everything else that's around it sometimes because we're, we're so caught up on trying to, to figure out what, what did he mean by that? And, yeah. and it, it often seems, well, that's, that's not, that's not really the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a good reminder. Um, so Throughout the book, you you'll refer back to Priscilla, who is um, she's willing to correct. She loves doctrine. She she's risked her life. Paul says, and and uh, and we may not know all the details of, of that either. How, how did she risk her life? And we can guess. And mm -hmm. uh, but um, is this uh, woman of uh, of deep theology and warm devotion to the Lord and, and to, to his people and, um, and how we can look to her. And, and then while the book maybe um, is a, a call for, for women to go deeper in theology, I, I can confess that I was very encouraged and challenged by, by the book myself. And so, <laughs> so we're looking at Priscilla as as a as an example for us for for believers who want to know the Lord, who want to um, uh, yeah go deeper, uh, go deeper in the, the things of God. And 
So I've, I've appreciated that. And, and one of the ways you do that throughout the book is you, you employ a few different metaphors for what it means to, to do theology or to help us understand the, that, that task. Could, I wonder if you could pick one or two of those um, that you think have been most helpful for you and, and maybe for, from those that you've, you've mentored or taught. And we, we kind of talk about those and to help us get an understanding of what we mean by doing theology. If it's not just a, a dry, stale, dusty uh, time in the library, um, mm. give, give us a couple of these metaphors that help us understand really what it is. Yeah, so, um, so I really wanted in the book to portray kind of the majesty of doctrine, because obviously doctrine is about God it's it's not just this dry academic um subject with with, our salvation is a person our salvation is from a triune God um Father Son and Holy Spirit so the 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 gold in in theology in doing theology is God himself and so from that then I was thinking about um uh, the depths and how we dig deep we talk about digging deeper um, Mm. And, and that and I kind of yeah made the point really that that theology is when we we forage um the the, the word of God um you know our, our resource and theology is 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 the is the word because we have a self-revealing God who is breathing out scripture um so we start with scripture um mm. and from there and I think some people think that there's this kind of point of conflict with scripture and biblical theology and then systematic theology and and the dead guys and these guys who've been writing you know maybe millennia ago and and the patristics and and why and I think women possibly veer towards this more you know I am very used they might say to enjoying God in my bible I don't need to go elsewhere why would I I don't need to to pick up these books that um, that were written hundreds of years ago and that are hard to understand and perhaps have technicalities in them that that just just are divorced from my everyday life. Um, but what I wanted to show was that biblical theology and systematics, or or if you if you want the revelation of God in Scripture and this discipline that we have made and, and men and and women writing theology over. Um, over the history of humanity, these things are not at odds. Um, and so these these men like Calvin and Augustine and Luther and Edwards and the Puritans or whoever they may be, they are our guides as we climb the mountain of truth that is doctrine. Um, you know, they're not there to make us feel bad that we don't know our Greek, we don't know our Hebrew, we don't know our Latin. They're there to help us climb and navigate what to many of us is kind of alien country. So these are the professionals, sure, because they have spent many years studying these things, studying the languages, studying the doctrines, studying kind of the arc of, of, of redemption in scripture. And they can help us find those mountains of truth and see how the land lies more fully. And I think we don't do them justice when we think, okay, I, I, that's not for me. Um, and we we want to stay comfortable. We don't want to climb. Um, we want to stay in the shallows. We want to stay in the foothills um, because that's comfortable. But yet we rub ourselves. And in my own life, I've found this. 
we rob ourselves when we do that. And if we are, if we kind of embrace the invitation that is theology, that God has revealed himself to us so that we may seek him and know him, um, there are great views and great vistas of truth um, that yeah. will transform our lives and transform our, our knowledge of God and our enjoyment of him. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. And, and I wonder if, you know, you mentioned that um, there was a season for you of being content with the shallow or staying at the, in the foothills or, um, but, but something, something shifted for you. I wonder if you could tell us um, maybe how that shift happened and who was, who was a a Sherpa that helped you begin to, to climb uh, higher or dig deeper. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, it hasn't been like a, a, a crunch moment, a crunch point other than conversion. So I was brought up in a Christian family, really conceived in the church. And it wasn't until um, 2000, and 2000, the year 2000, uh, that I became a believer. And when I became a believer over a period of about six months, just something switched on that hadn't been on. And I was hungry mm-hmm. for the word, hungry for theology, hungry to understand what predestination actually was about, even though I'd been hearing uh, all these things for years in childhood. Um, so something definitely switched on then and I was hungry for the truth and I had an appetite uh, mm. for theology and I think that's it isn't it that that theology is actually the natural appetite for the Christian and that mm. has just been growing and growing and growing you know through through formal vocational study at seminary uh, and even now you know um, you know my I got my doctorate a decade ago and and now I feel like I'm still on that journey of of, of learning, and and I know that there are saints um, many decades older than me who are still learning. So, yeah, I think it is very much a journey, but we need to mm. make sure we're pushing ahead in that and not staying in one place, um, and yeah. that we have the appetite to know God as well as to love Him, and to see that those things are not separate; they are the same thing. That's good, and, and so. Um whether it's from that earlier season or maybe here more lately, tell us about um, if you could one or two examples of, of guides that have, that have helped you along. The- yeah. yeah. Sorry. You did say that. Yeah. So um, I think it's funny, like it's not necessarily the case that the books get bigger as my life goes on, but certainly there is a little bit of that. So remember I picked up Peter Jeffrey's book, Bite Size Theology, um, I think even before I went to union as a student and or whilst I was there and it was just basically a tiny systematic and I found these things in it on union with Christ for example that I'd never found before and then and then John Murray's book Redemption Accomplished uh, and Applied is such a gem and that has had a massive impact and and I just keep going back to it you know um, and gleaning more and more from it. And certainly Calvin, love Calvin, Bavink, love Bavink. He's definitely been a Sherpa for me. Um, and it's great because I've seen that. I've been teaching um, women um, in ministry, theology. We've been going through Bavink. And, you know, these are women who wouldn't touch theology normally, but now they love Bavink. You know, they're, he's their friend. He's helped them understand traverse the doctrine of the trinity or christology or whatever it may be 
and mm-hmm. this austere Dutch guy is now their friend. Um, and they see that he's their guide, he's their Sherpa, he's he's leading them um, the, through the terrain uh, of scripture and through the terrain of doctrine. So, yeah, so those, and, and Gregory of Nazianzus, oh my goodness, like the fact that he said, my trinity, and I think it was Robert Lethem who flagged it up for me as well, like that really transformed my understanding of of union with Christ and and self, and soteriology that 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 through Christ we can the, the Trinity is ours. Like we mm. can we can call the Trinity my Trinity. So it's not mm. this this conceptual thing that we can't get our heads around, but it's personal and there's communion in mm. Christ with the mm. whole Godhead. That's so good. That's so good. I can imagine that uh, a listener may even just by hearing these names, <laughs> the, maybe they recognize Calvin. Maybe they're they're wondering what is above ink. Um, <laughs> they um, and, and already maybe their pulse is rising a little bit. And there is that I think that challenge that some feel at the beginning of their journey of, am I smart enough? right this this self-doubt of these are these are big books or these are um these are uh, theological classics or masterworks for a reason and i'm not sure i'm i can climb that high what what kind of uh, comfort could you speak to someone right at the beginning um who has that kind of a concern just that i, I can't i I can't, I can't do it. Other people can do it, but I, I can't. Yeah. I think that going back to the journey metaphor is helpful. It is a journey and everybody writes that differently. Um, So theology in some people's life will look very, very different and also in different seasons than others. Um, You know, I've still got three young girls at home, so I don't get to sit down and do you know, an hour of go, going through scripture with a commentary every morning, as much as I would love to. Um, whereas other people, that's quite normal. Um, or the young mum who's literally got a toddler on her hip and a baby in the chair, you know, she's going to be able to do much less than I am. So it's not just who we are and our own intellectual capacities, but also our seasons. And I think you just have to make sure that your hunger is there. Like we said, it's the appetite thing. So the book isn't to make people read and buy you know Jonathan Edwards and buy a microscope and and read his his works because it's in tiny tiny print uh, it's to give you an appetite for theology and for truth about God that to know him is to love him but that will look very different for different people um and you know I think the other thing is that C.S. Lewis said um sometimes we we're afraid to read some of the classics you were afraid to crack them open and and read them because we think this person was great and I'm not great and how can I um but but what he says a really interesting helpful obvious point that these men are still being read hundreds of years later um for a good reason because in fact they are clear and they are understandable um and that's why they're classics and so in the book I try and encourage people to to you know get get there get get brave <laughs> get a classic like um Palmer's little book on the Christian life or Luther on the, uh, and and lots of little things like little, little books Athanasius's little book um mm-hmm. on the incarnation 
um, all these things, um, Augustine's confessions, the reason they're classics is because they are readable. Otherwise, yeah. people wouldn't be reading them uh, yeah. millennia later. So that's a really helpful point and uh, one that I think people need yeah. to be encouraged by. Yeah, I, I remember um, beginning the journey myself and <laughs> I uh, found this little book called, uh, I think it was called Dictionary of Theological Terms because I kept running into some oh, words nice. like ontology or, or epistemology. Yeah. Um, words that, but that also showed that I probably started <laughs> with some of the less clear sources yeah. as well. And so I wish okay. I'd have heard, heard this a little, um, you know, a couple decades ago as we, as, as <laughs> I started my journey, but, um, um, yeah. We've all been there. Haven't we? Like we've yeah. all, there was a time where the PhD in theology, um, said, Oh, so is it called Westminster because it happened in Westminster, you know, or the, the obvious question or, um, you know, why is it the hypostatic union is, oh, it's this or whatever it is. So there's uh, those kind of awkward things as I don't want somebody to know I don't know that. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, everyone's been there. Um, so just be courageous and, and be happy to, to, to learn that stuff, you know, yeah. instead of avoiding it. Yeah. Well, so that that's I think really helpful for those that are are concerned that that maybe I I don't know where to start, and and I'm afraid to start. Um, on a, another kind of uh, person who may be reticent to to dive into theology may have this notion that going deeper in theology theology is something that actually would be bad for my faith or bad for my devotion for instance uh, we have a phrase <laughs> that, that a portion of the church in the u.s would say um if you get your learning you'll lose your burning uh, i don't know if that translates uh to english at all but um <laughs> maybe this concern that uh the if if i go deeper in head knowledge then my heart's going to grow cold. And so I wonder, what would you say to, to that person who's worried? Yeah, it's interesting because Warfield wrote something on this. Um, it's a little um, kind of essay, if you like, on the religious, religious life of the theological student because even back in his day, he was worried that those studying theology were going to dry up. Um, he says the best thing, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, mm. he, he's responding to the, pro, the pro, provocation of, haven't you heard that 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than 10 hours over your books? And he says, what? Than 10 hours over your books? On your knees? Why should you turn from God when you turn to your books? Or feel that you must turn from your books? in order to turn to God if learning and devotion are as antagonistic as that then the intellectual life is in itself accursed and there mm. can be no question of a religious life for a student even of theology and Warfield is so helpful on so many points in that because he's making the point that if that's true the intellectual life is accursed so why on earth has God given us a muscle in our heads that can 
we can sharpen and we can use and we can apply to knowing him. Mm. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, and Owen says this, he, he God has given us his brains in our head so that we can, um, the sharp angle of our intellect can just go straight into who God is. Like that's why he's given us, that's why he's given us our brains and our intellects and our, our faculties, our mental faculties. If anything, it's to understand him, the creator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly if you, if you think about Eden and what's happening and it's, it's God has created Adam and Adam is perhaps on the floor and he's coming to, and why, if anything, would God give him a brain? Not to name the animals, not to name his wife, not so that he could uh, do whatever he might need to do, but first of all, so that he may understand his creator and have a relationship with his creator. So I think this is really rudimentary stuff. Like this is why we have an intellectual capacity um, and that the Lord uh, warms our hearts the more we know of him. And every every book in our on our shelves, in our library, Every book, every theological book, every commentary, every lexicon, every systematic, every Puritan paperback that is there to fan into flame uh, affection for Christ. Mm. And, and that's why it's there. And any theology that isn't doing that just isn't theology. Um, because our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, and that includes whilst we're in our book. I really appreciate how you make that point by talking about any other relationship that you have. We, there's no other relationship that we would separate um, the person from the facts we know about that person. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, my, my friend Joe, here's my friend Joe, and here are the things I know about Joe, but if I know more about Joe, I, I, I won't actually, <laughs> I'll, st- I'll stop appreciating Joe for who he is, because of all these, these random facts, this data about Joe, and um, mm-hmm. we we would never do that, and yet we we tend to do that um, about God instead of saying no. There's one Joe, <laughs> yeah. um, and there's one God, and I love Him with all my heart and all my mind. That that it, it is the one God. And I'm bringing all my faculties to bear on, on uh, knowing and enjoying him. And um, yeah, that, that was really helpful for me. And you, you make a point in chapter three, how if we separate those things, um, if we separate our, maybe our knowledge about God and, and, so, and so we don't pursue it, um, because we, we we think well that that will negatively affect my devotion for God. Um, I noticed in chapter three how you you kind of posited that often when when people are feeling like maybe their quiet times or devotional times are are bland or that they go into church and uh, and worship is just a little boring or hollow that maybe the reason is because we have been content with so little knowledge of God that we've we've content contented ourselves with the shallow and so um and so refused in a sense the 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 opportunity to to joy and to glory in um in in more the 
of the depths of who God is. Can you, could you unpack that a little bit more? How have you observed that maybe in your own life or in, um, in the life of the church that you've been, you've been a part of? Yeah. Yeah. I think Dane Ortland even makes this point in his book about, you know, we can find God boring if we're not digging deeper into him. And that kind of is obvious. Um, Calvin says, doctrine is rightly received when it takes possession of the entire soul mm. and finds a dwelling place and a shelter in the most infant, intimate affections of the heart. So doctrine has mm. to find a dwelling place and a shelter in the most intimate affections of the heart. And mm-hmm. I think he's right. Um, theology is the pursuit of worship. Um, and so that works backwards then. If we are spiritually dry and spiritually bored because we've just been in the same shallows, like every, we say the same prayers, we read the same books, we hear the same sermons, we're not being stretched in our understanding of who God is in his mystery and his beauty and um, in all his attributes. Um, and and to, I mean, we, we worship an inexhaustible God so there's a problem if we're bored with him. Um, there's a problem if we become, um, you know, we're dragging our feet and everything becomes uh, overly familiar and trite or even prosaic. Um, and I think that is the great thing about theology is that you you go to new heights and you understand more of who God is. And in that, um, you learn more of God and you you. You, it's really hard to be bored with God when you're pushing mm-hmm. hard into him and, and who he is. I mean, mm-hmm. my friend, uh, Jenny Manley, she wrote the uh, Good Portion uh, Christ book. So it was basically a Christology for women. Uh, and she said, as she was reading about the hypostatic union and re- reading about uh, different uh, parts of Christology to include in her book, she would be working in a coffee shop and she would just have to stop and worship because mm-hmm. she just couldn't do anything else. And that's what theology is supposed to do. I mean, you know, that it's not theology otherwise. Um, mm. We're not studying God if we don't if we don't love Him. Um, John Owen says that uh, faith is what makes us theologians. Faith, um, and that all Christians are God's theologians. Um, and so, the faith that the Holy Spirit has gifted us and imparted into us that takes hold of Christ that then does that in a sense of, I want to know you, Lord. I want to push in to you. I want to understand more of who you are and more of your um, of your attributes. And I mean, it was only recently that I learned of um, the, um, the um, <laughs> how, how God is um, impassable and immutable and this divine simplicity and all these amazing doctrines that I just didn't know about God. And hearing that, okay, there's this, there's this doctrine of divine simplicity. So that means that God isn't like us. He's not made up of parts. Um, mm. It's just, wow, that's amazing. I've never thought of that that way before. Mm. You know, so yeah, it, it really should be stretching us in, in, our, in our hearts and in our, in our minds. Mm. Um, and I think that, um, that some people, we, we do become um, flat uh, in our spiritual lives. We do become apathetic um and i think it is because we're theologically malnourished um Mm. because if we were feeding ourselves with revealed truth about who god is then we would be on our knees 
Um, mm. And so as soon as you feel your, your feet are dragging spiritually, um, then dive into a new doctrine. Um, seek to know something new about who God is. Um, yeah. and, and that can definitely reinvigorate us spiritually. Yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful. You could, um, you could see how um, staying in the shallows um, could have such, a, such um, a negative effect on, as we've said here, the, your devotional life, maybe your, your relationship with, with the Lord. You could, it, when, when church is boring, is, 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 is the bride of Christ the problem? Or is maybe there's something mm. in my heart and in my head that I need to I need the, the Lord to teach me about his bride or um, uh, about mission. If, if I'm, if evangelism is a burden then maybe I, I don't really understand what's, what's happening when someone has moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved right. son. Right. And it's a chance to go back to those categories, you could say, and allow the Lord to, to show me more of himself there, more of his beauty more of his plan so many points of application i think yeah 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 and i think um that's why reformed theology is so wonderful that's why the doctrines of grace are so um invigorating and thrilling because mm. um as you deep if you as you dig deep into it you see that that you are saved only because of the sovereign work of god and and that it's all of grace and that you were hanging on the, the Adam, the giant, and you couldn't get yourself off him. But it's only by the sovereign goodness of, of God that he has taken you off of Adam and put you on, a, on onto Christ and you're in union with him. And that's your salvation and that's your spirituality. And you worship because you know that it's all God's grace. And I think it's sometimes even in our evangelical church culture, we, be, we, we, we become like we're doing Christianity. Like it's something we do, it's programs we do. Whereas if we recenter salvation and the cross and, 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 our, and how we're fused to Jesus, we, mm. we're dancing because of the grace of the gospel. So I think that's also a massive, massive part Um mm you know, the, the grace of the gospel, the gift of the gospel, how undeserved uh, we are. Yeah. And, and the doctrines of grace. Wow. They taste so, so sweet. Mm. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for writing Priscilla. Where are you? A call to joyful theology. And thank you also for joining us again on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. Um, there's, there's so, so much in the book that I think we could we could talk on for, for, for quite a while, but um, we're here at the end of our time. And just thank you again for, for joining us and letting us uh, pick your brain on Priscilla and what it means to do theology. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union and so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.